Hello and welcome to this week's Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. This week we have a very exciting podcast. So Index Ventures announced a new fund. Paris-based accelerator The Family also raised funds essentially to conquer Europe. We'll go into a bit of detail on that. Microsoft acquired UK-based SwiftKey. And we will follow up essentially all of these kind of index-related topics in the first part with a chat from Martin Mignot, who is from Index Ventures in London. And then finally, Neil and I will wrap up with a quick discussion of the 2015 exit report that was published on tech.eu. So yeah, this is definitely going to be a bit of an index-heavy show. So let's kick it off with the big announcements from Index this past week. So the famous fund, originally headquartered in Switzerland, has announced the closing of its eighth fund, giving Index $1.25 billion to invest in startups. That is a huge amount. Index raised a $700 million growth fund last year and has now got an additional $550 million for early stage deals. I think even more exciting than all the money that they've brought in is actually what's going on with their team. So last year, it actually looked like, you know, what was going to happen. Sol Klein and Robin Klein left Index in London to go launch Local Global, new VC fund. People were kind of, you know, wondering what was going to happen there. The team, especially on the US side, has been getting a lot of uh, movement recently. Twitter's former CEO, Dick Costolo, announced that he would be joining their US team. And they also added Shardul Shah, as a new partner, and he was previously at Summit Partners. So I think that is uh, definitely very exciting, especially on the U.S. end. Index, I don't think this is news for anybody. They have a killer portfolio, especially if we look across Europe and the U.S. combined. They have had eight companies go public in the last few years. They have a number of unicorns under their belt, including Adyen, Blablacar, Docker, and Slack. So really just all around great news for Index. Yeah, I mean, they have an exceptional exit record. We're going to talk about the exit report a little at the end of this podcast, but actually I'll reveal now that Index actually had the most exits last year in within their portfolio. So that's just proof of kind of how well they're doing. I believe the year before they also featured on the investors who had had the most exits in Europe. So yeah, incredible record. I mean, particularly in the Nordics are really strong as well. I looked at this last year and actually out of the $10 billion valuation companies in the Nordics, unicorns, Index have actually backed six of them. So they have like a 60% track record in terms of backing Nordic unicorn startups. And not just that, but five out of the six actually came at A or B. So it's not really late stage for you know they're not jumping in at C when it's quite kind of clear it's still kind of the majority of them were A and a couple of B's so it just shows kind of their eye for a good investment I mean especially in the Nordics they have built up a really strong network there and have an exceptional track record. Yeah I think all around just very impressive and that's probably why they're one of the leading funds in Europe so uh, hopefully we'll continue to see great things from Index especially now that they've got all this cash. Moving our attention to Paris, so Paris-based accelerator The Family announced a rather large round of funding, $6.6 million, to scale the program throughout Europe. So just intro to this whole bit, I get a little bit hesitant to call The Family an accelerator. I think even they were kind of rejecting that 
term for a while because it's really not a classical accelerator at all. And they function in many ways a lot more like a startup school with some elements of a fund. I mean, it's it's a whole bunch of different components combined, but I'm going to keep on calling it an accelerator just to kind of simplify things throughout this bit. Yeah, I mean, my understanding was that it, see, see, maybe this is the branded thing, because I assumed, or at least what I thought was that they started as an accelerator, but then kind of developed into this much more of a community piece, if you like, with the startup school, etc. Is that is that what happened? Did it start off very much around an accelerator and then grow out? I guess, you know, they have accelerator components, like they take equity and they kind of help the startups build up. And I think there's some pieces to it. There was in the beginning kind of more of like a program, although they've never actually really had an in-house, you know, kind of incubator style program. So I think, you know, in many ways, it is still kind of very similar to what it's set out to be. But I think they've kind of toyed around with different models and different bits and pieces of what they can do. So yeah, I think we'll just keep calling them an accelerator. But essentially, they have grown very well over the last few years. They're still relatively young, but they work with several hundred startups, including a handful of pretty successful French startups. A couple to mention are Algolia, which is one of the few French startups to ever do Y Combinator, raised a lot of capital with Excel in London. Save, which is a business that repairs smartphones, which has grown really, really big, raised pretty large rounds of funding as well, and Captain Train. So I think these are a couple of really great examples of French startups. And there's a few kind of young ones that are up and coming as well. And towards the end of last year, they began branching out to Barcelona and apparently also to London, which is where the company is legally based. I think it's funny, we're going to see Index pop up a lot throughout this podcast. They were initially backed by Index, which kind of really gave them a lot of credibility when they were first starting out. But now they've brought on some more funds, a number of different investors. The ones that kind of really caught my eye were 500 startups and also the founder of My Little Paris, which I started startup that was acquired in France. The founder of that, Fanny Pesciada, also is an investor in, in this latest round. So this was really interesting because it is probably the first, I think it is the first investment I'm hearing for 500 startups in anything France related. Yeah, I mean, this is, although it may be the first in France, this is certainly kind of indicative of 500's recent strategy where they've kind of moved more and more into Europe. Obviously, we have it in the Nordics, in Turkey, uh, in the UK. They're kind of establishing funds in each of those countries now. So it's quite interesting to see them make this uh, investment there in France. I can actually see the, the, the kind of fit for 500 in terms of their typical investment portfolio. So I understand that. But it is interesting. I wonder how that initially came about. So yeah, we'll have to watch 500 in terms of France, in terms of other places in Europe, because I expect the activity to increase throughout the year and over the next couple. Yeah, and I know uh, 500 has been, obviously, I mean, I think it's no secret that they've been looking a lot throughout Europe. I know they've been looking into France, you know, how to come into this market. And I think this is a, a really interesting play. In many ways, what's happening with the family reminds me a lot of Seed Camp. So Seed Camp, I think they expanded in kind of a similar way to cover a lot of different territory and then kind of re-centralize it back into the UK. And I'm I'm wondering if the family is going to take a similar strategy. Yeah, see, this shows just how many different things the family are or could be because in my mind I see them more like a kind of community resource or like this like entry point resource into an ecosystem so by having this the startup school by having the investor dinners or by having these kind of giving outside people access to these kind of startups and you know like when I think 
I'll go and visit France. I think, oh, I'll go and check out the family or I'll go there first because I know that they've got lots of different things going on and there's stuff happening there. And I think that for me, it reminds me of like, say, what we recently spoke about, factory acquiring Silicon Alley and kind of creating this more kind of community entry point. So that that's kind of, at least in my head, I kind of envision the family when I think about them. Yeah, and I think they definitely have become kind of a reference point for a lot of people looking to understand the French market, which is very, very good. So congratulations to the team there, and we're looking forward to seeing where they're going to expand from here. Now it seems, obviously, we've talked a lot about funding on the podcast so far. Now we have actually a really good acquisition that took place this past week. So Microsoft purchased UK-based SwiftKey for $250 million. So on the SwiftKey blog, I also read the Microsoft blog, but I kind of really like the SwiftKey blog. There was a really cute announcement that says, eight years ago, we started out as two friends with a shared belief that there had to be a better way of typing on smartphones. Thought that was really, really cute. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cute. There was one thing which wasn't so cute, though, in fact, made me feel quite sick. And although that it may, you know, sound funny, I mean, I think it's actually a very, oh, it is a horror story. The two friends were actually three friends originally. So basically, the third guy who started it, he left a couple of months into them doing it. And he sold his shares in the company for a bike. So he was given a bike, kind of the that was the agreement. He was out, they got his shares back in return for a bike. So obviously, he's missed out on a huge windfall. So quite a, a kind of crazy story amongst the the big story itself. I hope it is a bike made of gold because yeah. he's missing out on a, a pretty big chunk of cash potentially, but maybe they wouldn't have grown to be where they are um, yeah. had the team taken exactly. a different you never direction. Know. So yeah. you never know, but maybe he's beating himself over the head. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, the London-based company develops apps for iOS and Android that are installed on over 300 million devices, pretty solid figures. I guess who was an investor in the company? Index. Uh, we also have Excel and Octopus Investments as backers for the company as well. So that's, you know, obviously a lot of UK heavy funds. Many people are calling this an interesting play for Microsoft in the AI space. Definitely. I also find it really interesting that Microsoft is acquiring very heavily in Europe. This actually, I think Europe makes a majority of their acquisitions and actually not the US. Yeah. And again, talking about exits, uh, Microsoft were one of the most active buyers of European tech companies last year. They bought five, only a couple bought six, seven, eight. So five was a big amount. They were one of the most active. They were also one of the most active the year before. And I believe they were the only kind of American big company who was on the most active list on both years, because Facebook were on it last year, Apple were on it this year, but Microsoft were on it both years. So they really have a strong kind of European focused acquisition strategy. Yeah, and I think uh, this has definitely changed a lot since Satya was promoted to CEO. And I think we'll probably continue to see them looking heavily throughout Europe. Now, moving our attention, I mean, we've been speaking so much about Index that we thought it would only be relevant to catch up with someone from Index. So I had a chance to talk to Martin Mignot, who is uh, with Index in London. 
So I'm here with Martin Mignot from Index Ventures in London. Martin, it's a pleasure to have you with us, especially given all of Index's great news. And we've seen a lot of great stuff from you guys in the press recently. So Neil and I had a chance to catch up on a bunch of different Index-related topics. First and foremost, obviously, you guys have had a lot going on with your team. You've just announced a new fund. We even talked about how Seoul left and you know exactly what we were expecting was not what happened. We didn't expect Dick Costello to come on board and other great people that have joined since. What's your take on everything that's been going on with Index in the last 12, 24 months? Yeah, I think it's been a bunch of changes, but but at the same time, you know, we've we've kind of stayed faithful to our original philosophy, backing great entrepreneurs everywhere they are, you know, starting from Europe, but also in the US mm-hmm. and, and looking at the world as not only one place. So, you know, our specificity from, from the get-go was that we were looking at European and, U- and US companies from one team, uh, one view of the world and looking at everything together. And I think that's fairly unique. And, and, and that's pretty much what we, what we announced this week with, you know, the, 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 the fundraising of two new funds, one early stage fund, one growth stage fund, and pretty much split 50-50 in terms of team and capital between the US and Europe to keep on you know, trying to find and, and back the category leaders globally for each category without a, a single country or single geographic focus. Mm-hmm. And are we expecting any of this to have an impact? Are we going to see any changes in the way Index operates and invests? The new people on the team, the new cash, or should we just expect kind of the same old? Yeah, I think it's a bit more of the same, you know. We, we got slightly more capital than we, than we had before, which uh, obviously you know, allows us to be more bold. You know, when we see companies with, with exceptional traction, uh, we, can, you know, we can invest you know, even more than, than we could before. Um, but, you know, our roots really are in early stage, uh, you know, starting with seed. And so, you know, we'll keep on doing that. But with a strong focus on the seed side on three series, a company with an idea that are doing slightly less than, than maybe we used to, but with the idea that if, if the company does what it's, you know, planning to do and, and kind of hit their number, then we'd very much love to invest in their series A and lead the series A. And also the corollary of that is that we are offering the level of support for seed companies that we would offer to a, a venture or a or even a growth company in some cases. So with Neil, we actually discussed Index's really impressive track record, especially when it comes to exits. I think you guys are hands down the leader. I think just the numbers, the numbers alone show that you guys had the most exits in the last year. Tell us a little bit what it's like internally. It's pretty fun place to work at, you know. You know, in terms of how it actually works, that we, we all get up together on the Monday, uh, which is kind of a deal flow and, and, and partner presentation, and uh, you know, especially with the U.S. guys trying to coordinate. And then for the rest of the week, really, it's uh, you know, we have a strong kind of geographical focus. So, so for example, I, I spend a lot of time in Paris uh, with with Dominique Vidal, and then we got you know teams for, you know focusing on Germany, on the Nordics, on London. So we are you know we spend a lot of time on the on the road, just trying to be local, uh, being very close. To the local entrepreneurs and the local investors to get into you know, the best companies as early as possible. Obviously, we're pretty lucky that we have both an early and a growth stage fund. So, you know, even if we make the wrong decisions early on, which happens you know, way too often, unfortunately, 
we can still have the opportunity, you know, ideally to invest later on. And so we, what we like to see is see the whole movie and stay close to the two teams, even if we pass on them in, in one round, to be in a position to, to keep on working with them later on if we just find out that, that we were wrong in the first place. And one of the investments that you guys are in that Neil and I discussed a little bit was the family. We weren't really sure how to classify it. Is it an accelerator? Is it something else? Love to hear your thoughts on that. But also, as they... Uh, you're not sure either. <laughs> well, that's good. I guess we're all in agreement. But we didn't know what we should expect to see from them as they start to spread across Europe. Is this kind of more of a seed camp style growth or should we expect to see something very different? I think it's going to be, I mean, uh, they, will, they will tell you more, you know, better than me. But I think it's slightly different. I think it's more of a multi-local approach where I think seed camp is kind of global across Europe. I think the families are always going to focus on the specificity of each local market and each local ecosystem, which was pretty much their focus in, in France as well, where they analyzed the good and the bad things with the French ecosystem and tried to craft an answer to that, really fit it with what entrepreneurs in France needed. I think, you know, started with Barcelona, they identified a lot of the same pitfalls and some of, you know, different strengths and weaknesses than, than Paris. So they're not just replicating what they did in Paris, they're adapting it to the local, the local uh, ecosystem. I think it's still very much a, a trial and testing the ground to see how they can adapt their model in, in a different geography and if, if they can find the same, the same groove they, that they managed to get in, in Paris. But I think even outside of the, the geographical expansion, I think there is still a lot of, a lot of things to do in France. There's been a good foundation with the number of people you know, that they've brought into their network, be it their, their companies or the investors or, or the angels around them. Um, and they've got this kind of uh, gravitation around their, their hub. And I think now is really a time where they can start in a way, monetizing, in, in, but not only just by charging, you know, corporates or, or classes and so on, but just by, by you know, investing and, and by just starting to really, you know, value what, what they've been very busy building for the past three years. And another great piece of news that we had from Index this last week was the acquisition of SwiftKey by Microsoft. That was a huge acquisition, $250 million. I think you were the person that sourced that deal from Index, am I correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit about that. How long have you been working with them? Neil mentioned that they were initially three founders. Somebody potentially left, sold their shares for a bike. I don't know if any of this is true. Would love to hear what your experience was. Well, you know, the, the, the fun thing is that, so I've been working with them for two and a half years, so I, I sourced it uh, with one of my uh, colleague and uh, and and sat on the board for the past two and a half years and uh, and it's the first you know and yesterday I read that article in the Telegraph about this third co-founder uh, it was the first time I ever he- heard about him so but apparently you know I don't know it looks legit so I haven't had a chance to catch up with the guys to ask them but uh, that, that was quite a quite an interesting story and you know I think it's it was good you know the press loves those kind of uh, of soap opera obviously you know it makes it more human more more interesting than just. Uh, and just the numbers and, and, and just the artificial intelligence in general. But um, no, I think it's been, it's been a really fun and interesting ride. And I think SwiftKey, I think what was interesting is to kind of see our initial thesis being validated. That, that doesn't happen a lot. So that, that's always nice when that happens, where we thought that their original insight that you know, smartphones are going to become very ubiquitous and, and touch screen with them. And so that we needed a better way to 
for humans to interact with these with these smartphones. And so that was their their original insight. And then they've been able to leverage some really strong core technological research that they had been doing at Cambridge and turn it into a widely successful product uh, that's being used by you know tens of millions of people and, and it's being installed on hundreds of millions of people. And, and I think that that's that what was very unique with this company. It's very rare to find a company that both had, you know, DeepMind was a pure research company. They had no product. Swiftly had both really strong and unique research applied to a product that was being used by, by, by hundreds of millions of people. I think that that's what really attracted us to the company. And, uh, and I think that that made a lot of sense. And, and it's one of those where yeah, there is an acquisition, but I don't feel like it's the end of the story. You know, it feels like this is a really good fit with what Microsoft is trying to do with their suite of mobile apps and also you know, their, object, their, their goal of trying to add intelligence to all of their products. So I think the guys are going to you know, hopefully have a really, you know, really good time. The team is going to stay in London doing you know, R&D you know, for, for Microsoft in, in the AI space. I mean, I'm really, really excited to see what, what they come up with in the next few years. So I think, I think Microsoft had, you know, did a really good deal here as well. Well, yeah, that's, that's really great to hear. And I know you mentioned earlier that Index, um, you guys are kind of organized a little bit geographically. So everybody at Index kind of focuses on a different zone. But I'd love to know from you, just looking all across Europe, what do you see going on? Do you see any new pockets, kind of geographical zones that are really developing? Do you see other ones kind of strengthening? Tell me a little bit about what's your overall vision of the entire continent. I think in the in the past, I mean, I think entrepreneurship everywhere is is, is booming, right? So that, that's kind of there's an under, an underlying trend that that's strong everywhere, with some exceptions. You know, I think you know Italy, I think is surprisingly still off the radar. I'm not quite sure why, but that, that's a fact. But in the past couple of years, I think, you know, Spain, you know, especially Barcelona and, and Lisbon have been two hubs that we have seen, you know, coming up more and more with, you know, the type form and the uni places and the talk desk. And with teams uh, focused from the get-go on, on the international markets. And so, and with really strong product and technical background. So, so I think that's a, that, that's a very new thing. You know, we didn't really used to do anything in, in those geographies. And I think Axel, especially, and a bunch of others and us have been doing more and more there. And we end up spending more and more time in, uh, in Barcelona. So I think that's, you know, it, it goes back to um, the discussion we had about the family. I think it's interesting that they, they pick Barcelona as their next city. Because I think we are seeing, we are seeing an ecosystem being born here and make you know, and more and more interesting companies. It's still super early just to, to be not fully transparent, but, but things are definitely going in the right direction. Great. Well, Martin, it's been great to have you with us. Before I let you go, I will let you make a shout out to one of the startups in your portfolio, one that you'd really like us to pay attention to. <laughs> uh, well, I think, that, I mean, I don't know if you paid a lot of attention to Deliveroo, but I think what these guys are doing <laughs> is, uh, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, you know, of course, you know, it's not, it's not a newcomer, but I think this is one of the very few cases where Europe has a very good chance have at hosting the, the global leader in a very large market. Uh, and then we could, you know, it could be a Spotify type of defining company for the European ecosystem. And I think, I think people should, uh, I mean, I know they're getting a lot of attention, they're getting a lot of credit, but I don't think people realize yet the, the potential that this company has. Uh, it may go, you know, it may go nowhere. It's still, it's still, still very early. But at least, you know, we, we do have a chance in Europe to create and, and back the, a giant in a very, you know, in a very, very large, large category. So I think, uh, I think we, should, we should celebrate that for, and then hope for the best for, for, for these guys. Definitely. Martin, thank you so much. No worries.
It was my pleasure. Great to hear from from Martin and get his perspective on it. Um, very interesting, like we've said about what index are doing at the moment and have been doing. So really great to hear from Martin. Yes, and now we will move on to our final topic. So we just released our tech exit report for 2015. I'm not going to go into too much detail because Neil, this is really your area of expertise. But all I can say is that massive increase in tech exits in 2015. Yeah, definitely. That was kind of the headline figure is that from 2014 to 2015, it actually jumped up 71% uh, in terms of the amount disclosed in the exit. So in 2015, we tracked 594 deals worth 136.75 billion. So it was a big, big year for European exits. This is a paid report that we've produced for Tech EU. So you can actually purchase the full kind of findings and analysis as well as us looking at what the future for the tech exit scene in Europe is in the full report. It's about a 60-page report, so you can purchase that through tech.eu. But I just thought I would pull out a few. I would let our podcast listeners have a couple of excerpts that were quite interesting from the report that I thought I would just pull out quickly. So actually, even though I say like the amount dramatically increased, what was interesting is the percentage of disclosed deals actually went down from 2014 to 2015. So in 2014, the undisclosed or the disclosed deals went from 68% to about 65%. So actually, the 71% increase that I talked about is probably likely to be even higher. So even though it looks, wow, great, that's great growth. In reality, because we don't have all of the values of the deals, but we can see how many of them were disclosed, it's actually likely to be even higher. Kind of the figure which has caught a lot of people's attention since we released the report is the amount of VC-backed exits. And actually only 30.3% of Europe's tech exits in 2015 were VC-backed. There's a couple of reasons for this, mainly because we still include, it's not just digital tech in our exit report. So there is telecoms, cable, etc. So of course, investment has gone into them, but it hasn't come from traditional VC. So that is one reason why it's as low as it is. But either way, we can definitely expect it to increase. I mean, we, we've talked about on this podcast many times about the amount of capital that is now flowing into Europe compared to what it was before. It's increasing more and more each year. So, you know, it's only natural that we're going to see more VC-backed exits in the next year or so. A couple of other things, Germany and UK got the most exits. Israel and Sweden really jumped up from 2014. So they made kind of quite notable rises in the ranks in terms of the amount of exits they had. And what else? Finally, US companies made up significantly less of the buyers in 2015. So in 2014, one in three acquisitions of a European tech company was made by an American-based tech company. Last year, it was only one in four. So it really kind of shifted quite a lot. One reason for that is because the European scene has matured more, there is more money in it. So then it becomes more of a market within itself. And like I said about Microsoft, they were one of the most active buyers. So America's biggest tech companies are still shopping here. Apple were one of the biggest buyers last year as well. 
yeah, so other than that, within the report, we break down a number of exits, what transaction types, look at the total and averages and medians of all the disclosed exit deals, insights into how many were disclosed, what verticals attracted the most exits, where they were, B2B, B2C. So it's very kind of drills down into a lot of the details in terms of the exits. So I definitely recommend you at least check out the takeaways report on tech.eu. Uh, and if you're really interested in the subject, I would highly recommend uh, you purchase in the report because it's got that detailed analysis. Great. Well, I think our listeners should definitely head over to the site and check out the rest of the report. Yeah. And while you're there, please do leave us your feedback on the podcast as well and leave it in the comment section. We always read it. And you can reach us on Twitter as well at Neil S.W. Murray and at Roxanne Vaza. TechEU is at tech underscore EU. The website, as we've mentioned several times today, is tech.eu. And you can find a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and Acast. So please do subscribe and leave us a review as well so more people can find this podcast and learn what's happening in the European tech scene. But that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Dale.